Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. For the last nine weeks, we've looked at questions that Jesus asked his followers that were meant to provoke in them a change of understanding or a choice of repentance. These questions spoke to those first believers, and we find that they speak to us as well. Our question today literally resonates throughout the ages. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? This was spoken first to the crowd gathered to hear him teach what we now call the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, depending on which gospel we're reading from. This was a teaching about the way we should live. It is full of a lot of ethical admonitions that reflect the holy will of God. It is a demanding call of radical obedience, of putting God and then our neighbor before ourselves. You could almost imagine the people hearing it, that as it progressed and as they heard the principles of the kingdom of God being fleshed out in real examples of life, that they were taken back, that they were somewhat overwhelmed. You can almost hear him thinking, who can do this? No one can live this way. To forgive and pray for our enemies? Come on. I mean, do good to those who hate us? You want us not to strike back when someone slaps us? You want us to give to those who would steal from us? There must have been an opinion hidden within their hearts that wished Jesus would back off. That is, demands were too much, too harsh, so contrary to the real world. But to this, Jesus asked the question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? and not do what I tell you. It is interesting in the Bible that the word Lord has two meanings, related but distinct from each other. The first is indicated in our English translations by capitalizing every letter that spells the word. Whenever we see big L, big O, big R, big D, Lord written this way with all capitals, It is translating the very name of God, the person of God. When we see it written with a capital L followed by a small O-R-D, it's speaking of a human relationship, of a master to a disciple or a master teacher to an apprentice. It was often used to describe the relationship between a rabbi and his student. Luke 6, when Jesus asks, Why do you call me Lord?, He is using that word that is often translated master. 
He's reflecting the understanding of the crowd and the disciples that he is a master teacher, that he has wisdom on how to live, and that they wish to align themselves with his teaching. The key to all of this is that the disciple or apprentice learns by following the will or the direction of the master. In this context, then, the question seems to be, if you are my disciple, why do you not do what I've told you to do? Why do you not follow my principles that I've given to you? Why do you do your own thing rather than my thing? You see, Jesus is pointing out an inconsistency in the disciples and the crowd's thought. That following means something less than obedience to the master. Maybe they would put in practice some of the precepts, but turning the cheek was too much. Jesus is asking them, why do you call me Lord? Maybe they love the beauty of Jesus' thought and rhetoric, but for themselves choose to live by a somewhat easier code, a law unto themselves. To them, Jesus asks, why do you call me Lord? You see, to say no to the will of the master is to indicate that he really is a master after all. To say no, Lord, is to utter a contradiction. The key to the Lord-disciple relationship is obedience. The disciple does the Lord's will. Does this seem hard or too difficult to live out? Is it even worth it? Well, Jesus anticipates that question with a description of a life given to those who follow him. He says they are like a man who builds a house and puts puts its foundation on a rock. When the storms come, and they always come, he rests secure. He makes it through. Those who build on anything less than the rock are washed away. They do not survive the storm, but they pay with a diminishment of life. They are ruined. This means that Jesus is telling us that obedience to his teaching and ultimately his will as master is not optional to anyone. If you want to flourish in life, follow him, obey him in every way you can. On April 9, 1945, Lutheran pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged at the Nazi POW camp Flossenburg only days before the American liberation. The last words of this brilliant and courageous and inspiring 39-year-old disciple of Christ were, this is the end, for me, the beginning of life. Years before, Bonhoeffer had written a book on following Christ called The Cost of Discipleship. In it, he wrote of a modern Christianity that had made grace cheap. It was cheap not because it was freely given, but because of the worth we have attached to it. We take grace casually, and not with the serious weight it deserves. He writes, Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. The sacrament, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are all thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, 
grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives the man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. For such thought, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was martyred. Well, what can we say? Do we love Christ? The answer to the simple question first asked by Jesus in John chapter 21 to Peter, after Peter had denied him, can only be answered by what we do in following him. We answer so fast by our words, but our actions reveal to what degree we love God. Our love of God is revealed in how we love our neighbors, and even more so, how we love our enemies. Another way of asking the same question is, can we follow where he leads? Are we willing? The path of Christ is to the cross. The life of the disciple is cruciform in shape reflecting the love that Christ has for us. We also live in the light and power of the resurrection, where we live with a hope that cannot be diminished by our suffering and the sufferings of this world. We believe that God uses all our trials and sufferings to show forth his love. The more we give to our fellow human being, the more we love God. The more we die to ourselves, the more alive we become. Let us pray. Blessed Master, our Lord and God, come be with us and teach us the way to go. In your expressed will, as revealed in Scripture, you have given us a path to living. Help us in our weakness. Do not withhold your grace from us. Let us reckon the cost that you paid for our salvation, and let us not be intimidated by the cost of obeying you. You have called us to follow, dying to ourselves, living unto you. By your Spirit, empower us to this holy way of living. Open our eyes wide to the needs of our brothers and sisters and lead us to come to our aid of our neighbors 
Help us to love those who work for our destruction. Assist us to pray for our enemies. Be pleased to have your way in us, O Lord. We pray this because of your ever-present mercy and grace. In the name of the Son do we pray this, and in his name alone. Amen and amen. Amen.